the following program may contain adult situations and language that may be unsuitable for younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Live from the RTDS studios, this is Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo, proudly sponsored by National Fitness Training, with your host, Chuck Basti. Chuck's personal mission is to introduce the world to the people that motivate him on his inspirational journey into his world of infinite mojo. Here's your host, Chuck Basti. That's me. Let's not forget that Esquire. Okay, guys, bring the music down. I can't believe you just silenced hot chocolate. You told them to bring the music down. That's just bringing me down. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We're starting the show and you're bringing me down. Don't bring me down. I know. Yellow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this in a week, mood or, or? I'm in a great mood. Okay, you good. Know, I'm, uh, I'm in a really good mood because um, I was at Battle of the Blades on Sunday and they had a skate off between Anson Carter and Shailen, sorry, Anson Carter and Shailen Bourne against Grant Marshall and Sinead Carr. Uh, we call them the, uh, they've been one named now. So it's Grant Marshall and Sinead. So it's Grenade. Grenade. And they're both left-handed. So we call it the left-handed Grenade. Okay. <laughs> you, never, you, never see a, you never see the left-handed Grenade coming, right? Pulling so, the pin yeah, out, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, and the judges actually chose to keep Anson Carter and Shailen Bourne because they were voted off. You and, surprised me when you said nobody got voted off. Yeah. And they chose the IMG direct save and they kept them on for at least one more week. So nice. because there's nobody eliminated this week, I had the great opportunity to throw in Sandra Bezik, the executive producer and co-creator for Battle of the Blades. And she'll be joining us after the break. And a hell of a choreographer as well. A hell of a person. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> You're listening to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo on Listen Up Talk Radio. And of course, radio that doesn't suck. We'll be right back. Paul Cavalcante inviting you to have a vinyl experience Sundays on Radio That Doesn't Suck.com at 9 a.m., 3 p.m., Encore, Encore at 9 p.m., and for Super Early Birds, 3 a.m. Monday morning. Welcome back to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo, or as we like to call it around here, whatever the hell's on Chuck's mind, on radio that doesn't suck. Welcome back to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo. Yeah, that's my part, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, we have Sandra Bezik on the line today. Very cool. We do. And uh, Sandra started off as a 5P Canadian gold medal champion in Paris figure skating. Competed for Canada at the Olympics in Sapporo in 72 and has been a pillar in the figure skating world by working with Olympic and world gold medalists such as Brian Boitano, who turned 50 today, believe it or not. Happy birthday. Christy Yamaguchi, Tara Lipinski, current Battle of the Blades judge Kurt Browning, and of course my future ex-wife, ah, Clutch the Pearls. Karen Witz. I love her. You're contributing to your divorce fund, are you? Yes. Yeah. We're taking up a fund for that. In fact, if you've been watching figure skating in the last 30 years and you haven't oh. been hiding under a rock, you've seen Sandra's work either as a choreographer, coach, commentator, or producer, which is where you'll find her now on CBC's Battle of the Blades. Welcome, Sandra Bezik. You're making me feel so old. Go, Sandra. <laughs> and we're going to start off with this by giving a disclaimer because I had every female listener in the world say to me, if you don't mention this, we're going to kill you, that any woman over 30 years old wants to know what Sandra Bezik's timeless uh, oh, remedy God, is sir. for looking as great as you do. And I need to start off with that. What gives you that look that you still look like you're 30 years old? <laughs> well, that's very sweet. I do absolutely nothing. 
Um, it, <laughs> Every woman hates you now. <laughs> I, no, no, it's I. I can't take any credit. It's it's uh, genetics. Genealogy. Um, a lot of olive oil. <laughs> olive oil, internal or external? <laughs> the Greeks love you now. <laughs> When someone yeah. told me 72 in Sapporo, I said, what was she, for when she I was, was competing? I this? was 15 in Sapporo. Wow. Yeah, and it was an amazing experience for me. Um, it just really, really spectacular. And, and it, But I was so young to really appreciate what exactly I was doing. And, and it was also before um, Olympics really became a huge media event. Yeah. That sort of happened in 76 after after um, uh, Lake Placid, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, and Dorothy Hamill in '76. Right. So it was it was not a, a major media event in '72, but it was the beginnings of it, and it was also really exciting to be in Japan and skate for the Japanese audience, and they were so gracious and, and a wonderful public to skate for. I want to ask you to start off with this because you, you brought this up, but. Um, you're, you mentioned that you were so young that you didn't really have the ability to take it in back then. But yeah. uh, when you finished c competitive figure skating, and as a, as a woman, you start off that, that, that path, and you think as young people that it's going to last forever. When it comes to uh, an end, did you think or could you have realized that your greatest legacy lay in the decades ahead? Oh, gosh, of course not. And, and it's, it's difficult for a young competitor uh, at that age because I was particularly young. I was 13 when I won my first Canadian title with my brother and, and um, kind of almost, well, not almost. I was burnt out by the time I was 17, 18. And at that point, my only identity was with my skates on. And when you decide to stop competing and there is nothing else, you really do feel as though um, your life is over at 18 and that you're a failure and so it really took um, quite a bit of time and work to figure out what I was going to do as an adult and and move forward and it I did end up gravitating back towards skating but I was at least able to structure it in a way to do it on my own terms um, mm. but that took three four years at least of um, some pretty hard times you know, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, that the hard times, because people really see the results of your path, but they never see your journey. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever you look at somebody who's very successful in anything that they do, we just notice the success. And we don't really notice the, the journey yeah. it took to get there and the beats along the way that you had to go through uh, yeah. brick walls to get through there. So um, what did you have to go through as a skater, as a choreographer, to have an impact with the inspiring kids and working hard to achieve their goals, because right now you're creating a legacy for people to follow uh, through your journey. So what did you have to go through to get where you are today? Well, I certainly learned maybe the most during those few years. I left skating altogether when I was about 18 and uh, didn't turn on the TV, didn't watch it, didn't put on a pair of skates for three years. I... Um, <laughs> ran a cafe with a boyfriend and <laughs> and then after about three years and and you know the break of that relationship um i figured that if i was going to do something for 14 hours a day that it might as well be something i loved and so i i, I thought about skating again and and some friends sort of pushed me back began to skate and, and perform professionally with my brother a bit but at that point i decided to become a choreographer which 
wasn't at all common at the time. But I figured that with my training and my own personal experience and my experience working with uh, dancers, well, people, choreographers from the dance world, that I could perhaps contribute something. And I, to this day, I use uh, those dark days as... Um, well, as information, as as to, to draw upon, really, when I work with younger skaters or when I work with people who are going through their own dark days, uh, it isn't an easy, normal course for any competitor, and everybody hits those patches. And I think it made me a more compassionate uh, coach and choreographer over the years. So what was the point that you were going on in your journey as a coach, choreographer, that really became a tipping point for you to be able to connect with people in order to, to work with the greats in the industry, such as Boitano and Katarina Witt and Chrissy Yamaguchi and all the people that we read about and who've had great careers. I was really lucky that when I put my shingle up and said, I'm, I, and, and let the skating world know that I was intending to choreograph and that I was available to work with whomever wanted, uh, Louis Stong called me and he was, one of the leading coaches, uh, Canadian coaches, and he called me up because he had just um, acquired Barb Underhill and Paul Martini. And they were already Canadian champions, and they had asked Lewis to coach him, and he didn't want to do it by himself. And he thought I would be the perfect partner for him. And he took me under his wing. He and Mary Jane, his wife, uh, took me under their wings and taught me. I learned how to coach and choreograph with Barb and Paul and Lewis and Mary Jane. And it was just a wonderful, nurturing time. I learned so much. And what was fantastic for me was that I was basically starting at the top. They were already Canadian champions. They were already world competitors. And then one thing just led to another. I was comfortable at that level because that was my personal experience. Um, and, and they were pair skaters, so I was also comfortable with that. But it was really Lewis and Mary Jane nurturing me and, and my skills as a choreographer and as a coach. And from there, one thing led to another, and I just started getting calls. And um, by and that, they competed in 84 Olympics and won Worlds in 84. And after that, uh, more and more calls came in. I also, at the same time, started working as a choreographer for uh, principal skaters and ice capades. And uh, every summer I would go and do the stars choreography and I would learn about showbiz that way. So I had this um, really great balance of working with competitors and working with show skaters. And I just learned my craft and the calls started coming in. And I did my first TV special with Dorothy Hamill. Um, and then Brian Boitano called, or Linda Lever, Brian Boitano's coach, called just after he lost 87 Worlds. And so just I, there was never a master plan. One thing just led to another, and I was very lucky to have worked with some pretty influential people on my life and who were very nurturing. Uh, so, you know, that's just, it was it was just the path that ended up happening. There was no plan. Well, I, I know that today is Brian Boitano's 50th birthday. You mentioned that yeah. off the air before we started. So I wanted to actually talk about something that he actually brought up uh, in a clip I watched a while ago. He was talking about after you mentioned the 87 Worlds when he came second place. 
And he was talking about uh, what he had to do as a person to be okay with being second in the world when he's Mm -hmm. used to being first in the world. Mm -hmm. And he actually got more inner peace from that by realizing that he was actually a, he was secure as a good person first and foremost. And that enabled him to, to, you know, rise above the occasion in 88, obviously. We all know what happened and have a great legacy of that as well. So uh, I'm going to give you a minute to talk about Boitano as well, just to, to go on what you learned from him and the example he led and how that led into your journey? Well, oh my goodness, I learned so much working with Brian and his coach, Linda Lever, and, and what I learned, for it was in such a finite period of time, it was eight months that, that we worked together, ten months or so from the time they spoke to me after the 87 Worlds to the 88 Olympics, and he was so single-minded and disciplined, and he had a pure, the pure Olympic spirit, really. It really wasn't about the win for him. He pursued, what he was after was doing his personal best performances in the short and the long program. It wasn't about a win. It wasn't about the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It was about the actual process. And I think that's how he stayed so strong, because he didn't think past the performance, and he trained as hard as he could and and really allowed me to uh, and they both really allowed me to give my input they were very open to it and it was very collaborative but it, it the the um, motivation was pure and that's what I really learned it was really underscored for me at that point because if the motivation is pure then the, the result will be um, the result will be pure. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever it becomes. And, and I saw the same thing in Tara Lipinski. Uh, I saw the same thing in, in Christy Yamaguchi, in Lu Chen. Uh, well, all the, all the Olympic champions or medalists that I, who I worked with, Barb and Paul, world champions, if the motivation is pure, then the end result will, will, will happen in a pure way, whatever well, that becomes. I'm glad that you brought that up because I want to take a break right now and when we come back I'd like to talk about the motivation for Battle of the Blades which is your new baby and mm-hmm. uh, I really want to get into that because I think the motivation behind that is extraordinary and mm-hmm. we're going to cover that when we come back from this uh, short break Chuck and Todd hanging in uh, Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo we'll be right back here's what the Mots is not it's not one of those cute couple shows hi we are the Mots Paul and Carol inviting you to join us weekdays at 2 here on talk-radio.ca with encore performances on Mots Weekend we kick around the topics of the day we chat with the newsmakers and people we find interesting some days the sparks fly you can check us out at themots.ca so uh, you don't find me cute ah you have your moments Welcome back to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo. 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 Mojo! Yeah, we stole that. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo on Listen Up, talk radio at talk-radio.ca. We're back with the timeless Sandra Bezik. So in the second half, I really want to talk about Battle of the Blades. And I know that you're co-creator of the, of the, of the show, and you've taken a, a different approach this year where you've um, not been a judge for the first time mm-hmm. and been a uh, producer. Well, I know you've been producer before and seasons before, but I feel that this is um, 
a selfless act by you because you do so much work in this show and you I don't feel that you get the same recognition or acknowledgement this year that you deserve. And half the reason why having you on the show is I really felt that you deserve that recognition because there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we just will mm -hmm. never be able to see or understand. And, you know, PJ Stock's getting more FaceTime than you, and I got a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Uh, you know what? There are 150 people in our crew uh, not getting recognition. <laughs> Everybody's working around the clock, and uh, I'm, you know, just one of them. It's We are very, very proud of our show, and... and Kevin Albrecht and I, when we conceived the show in, in our living room, I guess, let's see, it would have been about seven years ago. It was just a crazy idea. He turned to me when we were watching one of the, the dancing competitions, and he said to me, do you think we could ever do this with hockey players and figure skaters? And I kind of looked at him and thought, well... Yeah, Were you guys maybe. drinking at the time this happened? No, we weren't drinking. We weren't drinking at all, although it sure sounds like it. But I, I just, my biggest concern was that it not be a gong show. And I wanted to give it some resonance. If we were going to do it, that it had to have some kind of grounding that, that gave it purpose. And that's why um, I, I suggested that it be for charity. And, and the other thing was that we knew that we would, be approaching cast members, hockey players, and figure skaters to basically give up their lives for three months. So it had to be for something that mattered. And if it was for their own individual charity, charities, then maybe that would give them the impetus to actually do the show. And, and so that's how it all started. And Kevin and I uh, wrote it up and, and brought it to uh, Insight Productions, with whom we've done all sorts of skate, all the skating productions pretty much. In Canada, Stars on Ice and, and all sorts of um, the Kurt Browning specials over the years. And uh, together we shopped it around. And it, it took two, three years to. Uh, CBC always loved it, um, but weren't prepared to commit to it yet. And after about three years, uh, they finally said yes. And I'm, I'm almost perplexed looking back at it now because if you think that season one, you got, you know, the late great Bob Probert. Yeah. Uh, and Ty Domi, which really yeah. enabled you guys to get the exposure yeah. and Some big names. Yeah, you know, and well, they were and, and they were just uh, they, yeah. they were the perfect people at the perfect time. I think yeah. you know, coming up for their careers to really give you the catalyst platform to launch this. And well, the, the casting of the players that season one was genius, and it was all Kevin Albrecht. He he his first call was to Ty Domi, and that took a long time to convince Ty, and then the next call was Bob Probert. Uh, and when Bob heard that Ty was doing it, then he signed on, and the two of them, the show would not have happened without Ty Domi and then Bob Probert. And, and Kevin Albrecht's a genius casting that season, I think there were 18, excuse me, 16 Stanley Cup uh, champions, champions, you know, uh, Cuts actually amongst our eight guys, and just unbelievable casting. And then the women, the women were easier uh, because they they were a little bit more open to the idea. But uh, we had no idea what really what we were getting into, except that both Kevin and I knew that we knew that these these skaters would be competitive. 
we knew at least that, yeah. that they would be competitive and take it seriously. Well, and I think looking forward right now, sorry, looking backwards from back then moving forward, you can look and say, like, what a crazy venue you've created. Yeah. I mean, I was there at the show on Sunday, and I'm friends with Yannick Passant, who is Murdoch Mystery Star. Right. And uh, we were talking. I haven't seen him in a little while at the front uh, steps there on the on the ice. And he's like, he's like, Chuck, I really want to catch up with you, but Shailen Bourne's coming down here. My wife's going to take a picture. So you have celebrities <laughs> at this venue who are just like starstruck yeah. with yeah. the event. And and my little girl, she she'll be five next month. Um, Kennedy was there, and she had her Battle of the Blades picture, and she didn't know who these people were. Or why she wanted autographs, but she saw the buzz from the other little girls and skating clubs and other fans, and it just became electric for her. And she took this home, and she, you know, we put it in a frame for her to put in her room right now, so that way she can watch it. But she's left with this, nice. this aura of that. And and I always say that no person is an individual. Like we're all a team of people that got us to mm -hmm. where we are right now. Uh, and I think with Battle of the Blades, it's a um, it's a concept that to me is absolutely genius. It's it's a win-win-win situation. Uh, oh, thank you. In the sense that you guys have created something, and we always use a saying, you know, you give people what they want, but, you know, you give them what they need. And I think what we get as people watching this is entertainment. It's it's great fun. It's electric when you're at the venues. It's obviously no no secret that CBC's biggest show is, is Battle of the Blades, and it's got such a big buzz about it. But you, you guys have created a platform from a social media standpoint to give away millions of dollars over the years to all these charities, and more so importantly, is to raise awareness. And the one thing I wanted to bring up right now with you is, you know, you mentioned that you were in your living room with Kevin creating the show as well, but did you ever realize, you know, just like I asked you earlier on the first set, uh, you know, as an athlete that you'd have much more contribution in the decades ahead, but did you ever realize that you have really created something that has distributed millions of dollars in a ripple effect mm -hmm. that you'll never know about, which has touched people's lives on a global scale, like, like oh, a global scale, Sandra. <laughs> and, and you've done it in a win-win situation where CBC gets a great show, the people get this program to watch, and you're connecting all these people's lives through charities, and that you created something as great as this. Oh my goodness. Well, well, well thank you, but as I said to you before, there, there are 150 crew members and they're all pouring their hearts into it and then we've had the most extraordinary cast members over the four seasons and without them and their passion and their hard work um, none of this would have happened and it, it really does all start first from the cast and um, I, I can't say enough about them and how genuine each and every player has been and each and every woman and um, and of course Tessa Bonhomme, you know our female player, and and David Pelte, our our male figure skater, and just how open everyone has been to the idea and trusting. They've been so trusting to allow us to go down this journey, and we're we're all very proud of it. But it really has been a group effort, and we're we're very proud of that. It is, I think, quintessentially Canadian in for all the right reasons. And I think Canadians are fundamentally a generous society and I, I feel that this showcases the Canadian spirit and um, we're proud of it I, you know we're very very proud of it but I'm also deeply grateful to the cast and, and certainly the crew um, for putting their heart and souls into it 
uh, each and every week. Yeah, and I want to go with the, with the panel because we haven't touched upon the panel all yet, and we have a few mm-hmm. minutes left in the show. But um, so you got Kurt Browning, Jamie Slay, and PJ Stock, and I was mentioning this to you a little earlier on that in week two, I believe it was. Kurt Browning was giving really low marks for the <laughs> skaters at five fours and five fives, and I felt he was judging them on his ability to see Olympians and high level skaters versus you know what is so on the ice right now, and, and realizing it was something bigger. And PJ was giving higher marks. Now they've actually switched, and I and I thought that's amazing because I said to my my girlfriend at the time when she was with me in the show, I said, you know what, people don't throw stuffies. Or little girls don't throw stuffies to PJ Stock. They throw it to Kurt Browning because, well, he's Kurt Browning. And uh, and now he's gotten back to the point where he's actually, to me, much more enjoyable on the show as well. But I really love the fact that Jamie Soleil's in there and she brings such a balance of heartfelt emotion. You could see it every time she says something and gives like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. acknowledgement to the skaters as well. So uh, really quickly touch on the panel. Well, I love our panel. And I, I think it's it's. It's because they're they're credible. They're real. They're honest. Uh, certainly, nothing is scripted. Nothing is planned. We we um, completely leave it totally up to them. Whatever decisions they make, however they want to mark, they mark um, because they're credible and they each have opinions um, that are varied, which I think is very complimentary. They don't always agree. Uh, but they know what they're talking about. They're all experienced in all sorts of different ways, and so so they are, um, I think, first and foremost, credible, but also really entertaining and uh, true champions themselves. So uh, I'm, I think they're great. Yeah, I think they're lots of fun. I think you know, losing Jeremy Roenick in the last couple of years has been. Yeah, uh, has I, well, been... I mean, I adore Jeremy. I, I adore Jr. He was a wonderful partner, and we we were so grateful to his to him for his support of the show. And I, I had a blast sitting beside Jr. And I know that was mutual because he speaks very fondly of you. But you mentioned the word support, and I before we close, I wanted to give you a couple minutes or just to, uh, to to acknowledge the support factor of not just exactly you know for Battle of the Blades, but I mean you've obviously had to do a lot of things in your journey to get where you are right now to make this possible. So you got a few seconds here just to give the support people that have been in your life that have gotten you where oh you've been right goodness. now just to do oh that. Oh my goodness, that's that's an infinite list. Um, I, gosh, you've, you've, you've caught me off guard. I think, you know, the, the support from, certainly from my family, um, my parents and, and my brother and, and, uh, and then, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a mom, my, my son, my, my son, he's 19 now. And, and, um, it's, it's sweet because he, he supports me in, in a way now, which is, completely amazing uh so he, he's key and critical in my life and of course kevin albright but in in terms of i don't know my my training and all of that there's so many coaches and people who had an influence on me uh and and then more as an adult the people who took me under their wing um like lewis and mary jane stong and 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 others in the professional world in the television world um you know, I've just been so fortunate, but I, I mean, I, I, the list goes on and on forever. Well, I'm glad that every single person that touched me inspired you to where you're at right now has done that and that you've you know, completed everything that you need to get to where you're at right now, because 
realistically, if you if you wouldn't have gotten there, you wouldn't have created something as magnificent as Battle of the Blades and the impact and the ripple effect it's had uh, that you'll never know about. And it's my great honor to have you on my show today. And I wish you well with the rest of the season of Battle of the Blades, and we'll look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Oh. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure, and, and uh, I'll see you at the show. Yes, you will. And that's Sandra Bezik <laughs> from Battle of the Blades. You can catch it every Sunday night live from uh, Eastern Center Time at 8 o'clock, and uh, we'll see you at the show. Thanks for listening to Chuck's World of Infinite Mojo. We'll catch you right back here next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Thanks for listening. Thank you for spending time with Chuck in his world of infinite mojo. If you'd like to get in touch with Chuck or Todd, the email address is feedback at radiothatdoesntsuck.com or call the feedback line 866-269-6155.